Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Because Money podcast. I believe this is episode 14, and it's something about why you should care about regulation. I'm not sure why, but hey, we're going to learn. We've got two guests today, uh, John Robertson, who's known as the Holy Potato, and Noel D'Souza, TO Money Coach on the Twitter. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Good to have you here. Great to be here, Jackson. Nice. So Rob Engen is uh, delayed, hashtag because children. So we're going to kind of start without him. He's probably going to pop in. The, the little image will show up, and he'll go, and then he'll be like, he'll look around. He'll probably blink. And then Sandy is going to moderate for us. So, uh, Sandy, I know that you've kind of got a fire going. You're kind of all passionate about regulation and self-regulation and the best way to regulate this industry. So I'm turning it over to you. Uh, I will just throw out this as a general note. If you want to join us on Twitter, hit us on hashtag BecauseMoney. I will be social moderating uh, this conversation, and hopefully that's my addition. And then we're all going to talk amongst ourselves, and uh, we'll answer questions from the Twitter. So here we go. Sandy, off to you. Uh, thank you. Forgive me for not being a good moderator in advance. Um, <laughs> so, of course, th- when people hear regulation, uh, their eyes glaze over, and we like it because we're money nerds. Well, Jackson might not even care about it. But, but so that's what we want to talk about, is why regular people who rely on financial advice, who aren't maybe necessarily that interested in you know, setting up their own investment accounts and figuring out what, you know, mutual funds or ETFs or stocks or bonds to buy themselves, who need somebody to give them advice at this stage in their investing journey, why you should care about the regulation of the people who are across the desk or across the kitchen table from you giving that advice. Um, and so one of the one of the things that we talked to um, Noel about, because he's such a precise, logical-minded fellow, is the Bill 157, um, the, the Financial Advisors Act of 2014. That's a private member's bill, so we don't really know if it has a good chance of being passed. Um, but it does, I mean, it gives us a reason to talk about it. Obviously, Preet Banerjee has been talking about it on his podcast, uh, mostly Canadian, mostly money, or the other way around. So, Noel, if you wouldn't mind, would you just give us a very brief idea of what this Bill 157 is trying to address and how it's trying to address it? Sure. So, as you mentioned, this is a, a private private member's bill introduced in Ontario, uh, so it's called the Financial Advisors Act 2014. Um, it's basically designed to regulate financial advisors, and they haven't specifically defines financial advisors, but basically those who provide some form of financial advice. Currently, uh, if you are selling product of a certain kind, uh, you're required to have a license. So if you're a mutual fund dealer, you have to have a license to sell mutual funds. If you sell individual securities, then you need a license there. If you sell insurance, you have your own uh, licensing. Uh, This is to basically cover those people under one body as well as those who do not sell products, so fee-for-service or uh, fee-only financial planners who don't sell product. Basically, anyone who's going to be providing advice. Uh, although it's not specifically mentioned, I assume it would cover probably money coaches as well. Uh, 
And basically, it's intended to... So what the Act does is it establishes this office of the director, um, which basically he's going to have power to administer the Act. Uh, the Act's going to require that any person who acts or holds himself out as a financial advisor uh, must be registered. And if they wish to... Basically, if they wish to be a professional advisor... Um, if they try to do something without being registered, basically whatever they're trying to do is kind of put the put on, and they could be subject to fines, uh, $50,000 for an individual or up to $250,000 for an organization. Um, and then to be continued in terms of, or to be determined, is whether they're going to establish a code of ethics for financial advisors, as well as a set of minimum education standards, uh, possibly a minimum level of training, experience, ongoing education requirements. Uh, these are all to be determined and uh, who's going to determine them? They said the, it's up to the, the minister and the minister can delegate that responsibility to some other authority. Uh, but basically it's trying to get a hold of who's a financial advisor and um, you know set some sort of minimum standards. Uh, this is for Ontario. Uh, presumably um, if it is implemented and is successful, then it might be a model for other provinces. Uh, but that's, of course, uh, to be determined. So is this, would you say that, like right now, I would say that other than, um, you know, licensing with the, the relevant provincial securities organization, this is, financial advice is self-regulatory in a way. So with the certified financial planning marks and that sort of thing. So would you say that this is a step above self-regulatory or would you say it's just kind of layering another kind of another piece of legislation over top of the existing self-regulatory thing? Uh, I think it's trying to pull together um, under one regulator uh, people who offer financial advice so I think one of the issues it's trying to address is a case where you might have a one of those you know bad apple financial advisors that are selling mutual funds, let's say, and they get slapped for, for not following the regulations, and so they close up shop as a mutual fund salesperson and go and start selling insurance under that license and just basically you know, swap barrels to a different barrel. Uh, I think this is trying to capture those people under one and say, no, you've messed up over here. Uh, you can't just move on into another role. It's also, I think, to cover those who may not be CFPs. They might be... Um, just call themselves financial advisors. There's not really a specific definition for a financial advisor. There's no specific qualifications that someone needs to do currently in, in Ontario. In other words, it's not a protected back. term. Yeah, it's not a protected term. So anyone can call themselves a financial advisor just by printing it on a business card and hanging up a shingle. Um, I think it's meant to catch all those people who would otherwise fall through the cracks. In the Act, there's actually exemptions for people who are part of other um, professions that are already regulated, like chartered accountants and and the like. Uh, so they don't have to necessarily be registered under this act, so there are exemptions for them. Mm. And I, I assume that's to avoid having them fulfill two separate sets of regulations if they're already covered by, by one. Right. So I'm going to jump in with the Twitter here. Uh, Bigger John Rick says, can someone speak to the difference between licensing regulation and ethics? <laughs> <laughs> Question mark. Well, Noel, you're further along the CFP path than I am. So can you talk about what it's like to be, for instance, CFP and a, and a code of ethics there versus 
mutual fund licensing, which I'm a little bit more familiar with. Right. Well, I mean, a code of ethics is is really how you are holding yourself out to the public, how you're interacting with them. Um, I mean, with most code of ethics, it's kind of the you know do unto others as you'd have them do unto you type thing. That's sort of the spirit of most code of ethics. Uh, but it's how you deal with them, how you disclose conflicts of interest, mm -hmm. um, basically how you provide, you know, you keep their information private, um, you work with others in the profession on a professional manner, you don't undermine others in the profession. Um, all those other things are, are kind of covered by the, for instance, the uh, Financial Planner Standards Council Code of Ethics. Um, now, regulation, though, is is more about the things that you have to do in terms of your interactions with the client, so disclosing this or that, or um, and and I think uh, Sandy, you've you've had a lot of experience in the bank with the with the compliance aspect of it. Um, for me, I would say, you know, I mentioned earlier that compliance is to me anyway sort of the the base level that you want with um, the person working with you. Um, at the very least, you want the person working with you to not be breaking the law. I think that's a fairly low standard to uh, to achieve, uh, and you really want somebody who's you know, a bit more passionate and interested in helping you, as opposed to just making sure they don't get thrown in jail or get fined. Uh, yeah, yeah. And to me, compliance is the you know if if all you do is talk about how you are you know you're compliant, then you're conforming to the letter of the law and not necessarily the spirit of the law, which is meant to protect consumers and make sure that they're making informed choices, right? Especially since, obviously, now we're conflating investment advice and financial planning advice. John, can you can you sum up, I'm going to put you on the spot, why should a regular person, if indeed there are such things watching this podcast, why should a regular person even care what we're talking about? Why does this even matter? Well, to me, the reason is extremely important. It's because the regular person can't go out there and evaluate a financial advisor or a salesperson or a planner on their own. They don't, simply don't have the knowledge or the skills to do it. So they need some shortcut to tell them, this person is okay and going to help me and look out for me, and they need trust in the system. And for me, that's the big key touchstone word is trust. So if you have a physician, if you have a medical physicist, if you have an accountant, an engineer, uh, you can trust them even without having looked up their background, gotten references, etc., you have some baseline level of trust because you know that these are regulated professions that have minimum quality standards, ongoing evaluation, etc. They're well-regulated professions, so you can trust them implicitly. There are bad apples in all of those professions, uh, some of them shockingly bad still, but they're rarer than in more unregulated professions, especially sales professions. Yeah, and I think you've hit the crux of it, that it's the thing we're not talking about so much is that because the only people who are allowed to give specific security-related investment advice, so buy TDB 900 fund, are the people who are able to sell it. So if you have a, so, I mean, you would know this, you do a lot of work with self-directed brokerage kind of stuff. You can't call your brokerage and say, "Hey, I'm 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 thinking maybe I should get uh, you know buy a little bit more U.S. equity exposure. Can you tell me what fund I should get?" That's not that's specifically self-directed means you do it yourself. So in Canada now, to me, there's the implementation gap, right? And Preet was talking about it a little bit. There's you can either go do everything yourself and pay kind of the minimum fees and the you know 
search for low MER funds and kind of develop your own or buy securities directly, all that kind of stuff. Or you can go to somebody who's going to do the work for you. And here I'm obviously not talking about people that have high assets under management and can negotiate a, you know, a flat annual rate or something. So what's who the regular Canadians that just want to go out and get have somebody tell them this is what you should buy. The only people they can get that information from are people who then benefit from the sale, either by a commission or in the banking structure, more often it's in kind of bonus performance incentives and that sort of thing. And it's easy to kind of poo-poo that, but I've worked in that system. I considered myself, a, I thought I was a good financial advisor, um, but it's pretty hard to turn around after a conversation with a client where you've told them, you know, you should be totally in index funds or no, don't buy that product because it's way too expensive and it's underperformed or they just brought it out or they rolled in another mutual fund with it to hide the cool performance and then go to your manager's office the next 15 minutes later and explain why you had that conversation and why you didn't also sell them a credit card. <laughs> so whether you're a very good person or not, it's that the fact that it's a sales um, occupation can certainly exert pressure on even the most ethical well-licensed person in a, in a reg I mean, it is a regulated industry, but I guess it speaks to John's point that maybe it's not a very well-regulated industry. And so there's conflicts of interest that are inherent there, and that's an issue because people don't know that they're there. Even sometimes the salespeople, as we saw with the marketplace report, don't know that they're in a conflict of interest situation. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, because of the way the fees work and the sort of randomness that you're dealing with with investing, it takes years to see that there is a problem and by that time so much damage can be done that, uh, you know, as these things come more and more to light, there's more and more stories about the high cost of fees, the high cost of advice, and some of the bad advice that's uh, accumulated over the years, especially after, you know, a number of years of bull market. We had so many people getting uh, advice to take out loans to leverage when it was really not appropriate for them. Um, it's really shattering the level of trust that the public has in financial advisors. And uh, without something to come in and fill that vacuum, uh, it's not going to go well. It's uh, We're going to get a plethora of new designations that are self-regulated, perhaps, by new bodies that spring up. And uh, maybe some of them will be good, maybe some won't, but people won't know where to go. If there's regulation coming from above from the government, that can help settle everything down. Now, if it's not good regulation, it can just prolong the status quo or make it worse. Yeah. So, Jackson, I'm going to put you on the spot. You are a regular guy. You're not a, you're not an investment nerd in a way. If you were going to go out, you know, next week and start a savings plan and you wanted to invest, what I mean, if you I mean, you can't get specific investment advice from anybody else, what would you do? Uh, good question. I would probably talk to you, but that's very... Um, uh, I like to deal with people I know and I trust. Um, uh, simply put, I don't trust banks. Uh, now, I'm predisposed to not trust them because I'm a mortgage broker and we just have to hate them. It's just part of our job. But um, I've never trusted the banker. I've never felt comfortable in the bank. I, I guess maybe as a salesperson my entire life, I've seen through the sales process. I know that they're trying... It's not that they're trying to fleece me. It's just that they they make their commission on what product they sell me, and they're going to sell me a product that's in their best interest. I don't see most people as ethical. Now, maybe that's my big problem. So to answer your question, I would probably do a lot of research online, and I would value the information. I would value the information that I've paid for. 
and that's why I really like the fee-only model. You're not going to see me going in and uh, if I do end up getting involved in funds, it'll be talking to guys like you and pretty much self-directed and doing it myself. Now, does that work for every Canadian? I don't see why not. Yeah, yeah, and so then Preet had said kind of, and we didn't have a lot of time to go into it. It wasn't really the episode <laughs> length available, but so Preet had kind of said, well, it's more, the situation is more nuanced than just kind of banning the embedded commission part of mutual fund sales. I mean, obviously, I'm talking mostly mutual fund. I think we all are kind of in that sphere, but so if it's more, if, if the, if, if fixing the problem for regular Canadians who otherwise would not go to a kind of do-it-yourself, self-directed brokerage style of investing, what is the solution then? Is it? I mean, if we can't just say, well, let's let's not let anybody be compensated for their sales, how do we? How do Canadians get advice? And I guess that's where you know I, I really like what John had to say about you know if if we can have an organization and regulation that does build trust. Yeah, right now I don't think there's any trust that exists. Um, if there was government regulation imposed where there was a certain set of standards, I still don't know that, that I really buy it because, you know, well, like like Noel said, it's it's just, okay, so you've set the bar here. Well, it, I, I still think there's a lot of ethics in play that you can still get fleeced even if you're compliant. And I don't know, I... I it doesn't have to be government. Like, uh, to bring up something that Noel was talking about offline a couple days ago when we were preparing for this, I know he doesn't want to toot his own horn or that of his organization, but he was talking about Money Coaches Canada and some of the uh, setup that they have there uh, for their money coaches in terms of training, in terms of ongoing continuous, continuing education, in terms of resources that they can call on, in terms of a code of ethics, so that if they run into a situation where it's out of their depth, they have... Uh, further specialized people than on their Rolodex that they, they can call. And I mean, this all sounded fantastic. I had to go take a cold shower afterwards. And <laughs> it, it's just, it was great. And it's not government regulation at all. It's a voluntary thing, and they're creating a brand. And so you can do that. Like, that's part of what the banks did initially is, oh, come to TD, come to BMO. We're the big bank. We got all the people. We got all the funds. You just show up at our door, and we'll get you a plan, and we'll get you invested, and you'll be good to go. And that's really backfiring on them because they haven't maintained it. Now, if someone else comes along with a great plan, whether it be Money Coaches Canada, whether it be someone else, um, you know, whether the CFP Institute gets its uh, decides to become much more strict with its members, then that can do it too. You don't need yeah. the government. The government can force it and can really enforce it and uh, keep it strict. But if you have a, a self-regulating body that decides that they want to do a really pristine job of it, they can do that, and they can instill trust that way. And then you go, oh, that guy's associated with Money Coaches Canada or New Organization X, and uh, you know I, I can trust that organization. They, they're ethical. They audit their people. They send around mystery shoppers. They come down hard on people that give... Uh, inappropriate advice and that fleece their clients and I know that I'm going to be in good hands and if I do get caught they have an insurance fund and they'll compensate me like it you know you just build and build and build and build and build on all these amazing things that can really help build trust it doesn't have to ever involve the government and I yeah I agree with you and I think <laughs> um, you know as, as we're talking it's kind of like you know 
I don't think this is a problem that's unique to financial planners. Uh, you know, I think it really is to most industry. The conversation we had with Preet, you know, the the idea that there's a few bad a few bad apples spoil it for the bunch. Well, there's a few bad mortgage brokers that spoil it for the bunch. And every this is funny though. I've noticed this. It seems that every industry regardless of who you're talking to always refers to the a few bad ones that spoil it for the bunch and i over the weekend i was talking with a home builder and they build five or six homes a year and she's like yeah you can never you never be too sure on which home builders you trust it's a fly by night organization there's really no regulation anyone can get up and do it and it's kind of like oh what's your background well we were we we ran a siding company so what qualification does that give you in a home builder? Well, there's lots of fly-by-night operations. How long have you been doing it? Oh, a little bit less than a year. Like, come on! Like, it was just kind of like the, the ones who actually complain about the lack of regulation and the bad apples might actually be the bad apples themselves. So I think the the, the bigger picture is that you, you got to learn how to do the research effectively because yeah I mean if I hit an organization like Money Coaches of Canada and I found that there's all of these things in place uh, yeah I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a lot more interested in in pursuing a relationship with them I can't just put my head in the sand and never deal with anybody who's gonna not try and sell me something because it might be unethical I get that that doesn't work but yeah I, I like what you guys are saying now moving to the Twitter this is a tougher question that I am not gonna weigh in on but uh, Big Ricky T says uh, can someone speak to the UK model that has left those smaller accounts without professional help due to increased regulation and compliance put on financial advisors well uh, Big Rick I wonder if you are talking more about the fear that that was going to happen or the fact that that actually did happen because I would say my reading has said that um, that that was kind of the y2k of that of that regulation banning embedded commissions and uh, it didn't really come to pass all the hoarded water wasn't really necessary in that particular case so I before I would answer a question like that and well maybe you know more about it but um, I would say I'd like to hear about those small advisors that are investors that actually were left out of the cold yeah I mean I've I've also heard that same sort of concern that um, access to advice is going to be greatly diminished if we get away from commission-based um, compensation and go to f exclusively fee-only model. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I buy that. First of all, I don't know that I buy that the advice those people were getting under a commission-only model when they were investing, you know, 50 bucks a month and had a portfolio of whatever it is, 500 bucks or a thousand bucks or 5,000 bucks. I don't know that the advice that they were actually given access to was really what they needed uh, and how much time someone could spend uh, helping a client with what they actually need, which is probably cash flow advice and advice on managing their debt and paying down their debt and adjusting their expenses and uh, mm -hmm. paying less tax. I don't know how much of that advice they would have had in the first place. So, uh, you know, losing access to that and, and I mean beyond that, I just think that if the industry is reconfigured to a fee-only um, and only fee-only or fee-for-service model, again, you'll have people providing service at various levels. So you'll have those who are providing the service at the, you know, cost you a couple thousand, two, three thousand to get into the service and it's very customized and very hands-on and uh, kind of a high-touch service. Or you can get, you'll probably get people who will do 
hourly consultations mm -hmm. or we'll give you a lower package with okay you want uh, a couple hours of my time here's it'll be a couple hundred bucks or whatever it is I think providers will come in and provide what's needed but the model we have right now you know I kind of think of it as you know if a, if a chain smoker goes to his doctor and says I want to quit smoking and the doctor sells him a Bowflex you know yeah sure it's it's good for your health and maybe in the long term it'll be great for you but it's not what you need right now it's not what you're asking for. You're asking for advice on something. So why is he selling you a product? Um, so, I mean, are they really getting what they need in terms of advice? It, it just doesn't make sense to me anyway that what someone needs is advice, and and the only way they can get that advice is by buying a product. Mm. Um, do you know, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. As I want to do. I think. I think my ideal world for financial, for investment advice specifically being put in its place is to have um, a, a more U.S. model who I would say is kind of a little bit further along the fee-only continuum than we are. I would like to see a very small model portfolio, select from a couple of index-based portfolios type of investment company, like the way Vanguard is in the States, but maybe not necessarily them, but something similar, where for a kind of a small monthly fee or a very, very low ongoing MER, you can get, I mean, really, how much how much customized financial investment advice does a 35-year-old woman with three kids and a mortgage who's self-employed really actually need? For what funds you need to be in and what your asset allocation is, there's not a lot of variables that you really need to throw into that mix. So I would like to see something like that that's low cost and then everybody's perception of where they get their advice from totally switched from the product centric model and the comfy green chairs to somebody who actually puts your puts your investments in the context of your entire financial picture and all of the goals that you have because not all of them are going to have to do with the investments that you got you have. That's my ideal dream world. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the UK now because they just burned that commission, embedded commission model to the ground, and we'll see what comes up after that. There's going to be some upheavals over the next couple of years as uh, that plays out, but I don't think it's going to be such a bad thing long term. It's probably yeah. going to let I mean, more of this fee-based uh, advice come out, and because people will be charging transparent fees, they'll be able to give advice that isn't product tied, so there'll be more cash flow advice and less investment advice. Yeah, I mean, whenever there's a, a kind of a threatening of a change in the industry, you have these predictions of, you know, there's going to be blood in the streets and, and people are going to be clawing at each other. It's going to be World War Z or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> uh, I think that people will adapt. Um, I think many advisors who are successful right now have said they'll adapt their business if that if it comes to that. Um, so really, you know, a little bit of cutting up the dead wood and those who are looking at commissions without providing the value. The thing with a fee for services that you really do have to demonstrate your value. Mm -hmm. uh, people are writing a check. It's painful for them to write a check or give, you know, to pay that out of their pocket. Uh, you do have to demonstrate the value, uh, and you have to do it on an ongoing basis rather than kind of you know, just avoid your client and, and hope they keep paying the trailer. Uh, so <laughs> without them knowing, of course, they don't know they're paying the trailer, but they are. Um, in terms of practical advice, I mean, what do you guys think in terms of practical advice in the environment we're in right now for someone who's looking for a financial advisor? Because like we said, most people, certainly most of the clients I deal with are are coming in at the ground floor in terms of their knowledge and sophistication with regards to money, 
you know, they might be smart about whatever their profession is, but with regards to money, they really don't know what to do. And they really, like Sandy said, or like John said, they really don't know how to evaluate the person sitting across from them. So what kind of advice do you think you guys have for someone who's looking for a financial advisor and doesn't want to want to get stuck with one of the people on the CBC marketplace segment? <laughs> I would say if I can, if I can give my piece of advice that you're, you'll, you're going to have to put the work in. It's a sad, it's a sad truth, but you don't, I mean, obviously the, the advice is not immediately go and do a do it yourself portfolio at a self-directed brokerage. The advice is if you feel like you just don't have the confidence yet to, to take over your own investments, then you can go. It's okay. Go to the bank or go to whoever. You're not a chump for walking in and talking to those people. But I would say give yourself a cooling off period. So have your appointment. Go home. Take a look through all of the documents that they gave you until you understand what they mean. And then say yes to whatever it is or else go back and ask questions. I think you have to. It can't just be I'm going to go to the the bank, I've got an hour, and then my investing thing is going to be done for this year. That can't be the way that you approach it. John? Well, um, I'm going to sort of split the population up. I think that roughly half, you know, maybe 25%, maybe 75%, roughly half of the people out there, uh, in my experience, if they put some effort in, took two or three weekends, read half dozen books, uh, they could do most of it on their own. Um, and certainly get started and get in the right direction on their own, and then they would have enough knowledge to more properly evaluate some of these people. The other half, they're never going to do that. Uh, so they're going to have to find some other heuristic that's going to find a good advisor for them. So either they're going to have to find a company that someone can recommend, so, um, you know, you and Noel, like, they can watch a podcast like this. If they're watching this one, they can go to you guys. Uh, how many viewers do we have? It works right now, in my opinion, is to look for people that are fee-based because, or fee-only, because uh, it's fairly new in the Canadian marketplace, and so the people that are doing it are often a little more ethical, uh, in my opinion, because they've moved to that voluntarily. Uh, as that becomes uh, mandatory, like if in the UK, that wouldn't necessarily be a great touchstone, but I think for now, that can get you a better chance of success than just walking in the bank doors. What One piece of advice that I saw, so I really think it's important to try to find out the motivation for the person who's, who's sitting across the desk from you. So one interesting question I've had from clients is, you know, why did you get into this? How did you get into it? And I can see they're trying to, you know, understand my motivations and they can see my profile and my background on the website. But I think it's really important to understand, like we said earlier, compliance is a very low bar. You want someone who's going to go above and beyond, who's really going to work for you and, and has an interest and a passion in helping you. Um, you don't want someone who's just in it for the paycheck and, and for the kind of the nine to five thing, um, or who's you know smart enough to get around the regulations uh, and kind of mess you up that way. Uh, one thing, find it here. One uh, quote I really like is from uh, Warren Buffett. It's you know we're talking about uh, financial advice, and everyone loves some investment advice from Warren Buffett. Uh, what Warren Buffett said was, "In looking for people to hire, look for three qualities: integrity, intelligence, and energy. And if they don't have the first, the other two will kill you. If you hire somebody without the first, you really want them to be dumb and lazy. So, 
So really, integrity is really number one. I mean, you want someone, of course you want someone who is trained, who's educated, who who has the qualifications. So And regulation can provide that. So regulation might be able to say that only people with this minimum set of qualifications can sit across the desk from you and provide this level of service. Uh, so regulation can mandate minimum qualifications. It can impose a code of ethics and and try to evaluate whether the people are adhering to it. Uh, and it can impose penalties on those who don't, but it really can't measure the integrity of the person and their passion and and really why are they in that job. So that's one thing is try to get a good sense. Is the person going to spend time with you talking to you about what your needs are and ask, answering your questions? So are they willing to spend time or are they kind of trying to rip through as many as they can? Um, and one thing I did is I, uh, I went to the websites of some of the companies in that marketplace segment and I just looked at their career section and just to see who are the types of people that that company is trying to attract to be a financial advisor. Uh, so I looked through kind of some of their career pages and you know from some of them, I'm not going to mention the companies, um, but just reading some of the, some of the uh, segments on their website. So one of them says, best of all, you don't need a degree in financial services to start your own business. I don't know what a degree in financial services is, but anyway. Um, you'll learn more about how money works and how you could, with hard work, have access to unlimited income. So they're basically going to train you to understand how money works, and then you can teach other people how money works. Um, another one has their recipe for success is make 25 quality contacts per day or 125 per week. A quality contact is a conversation during which a prospect's needs are assessed, his or her interest peaked, a product explained, or an appointment set. So 25 contacts a day, 125 a week. Uh, yeah. I don't know how many people can do it. I don't know if you had targets in the bank, Sandy. That sounds awfully high to me. I don't know how you can talk to 25 people in a day. Uh, you can't, but you're supposed to. You're supposed to, right. You're supposed to. Uh, the qualities that they look for in an applicant, a work history that indicates rising income and success, indicates an increase in responsibility, job stability, um, nothing really mentioned about actual client service. Um, although we prefer that our applicants have post-secondary degrees, it's not a requirement. So, I mean, these are these are a few things I've read off some of the sites, and uh, it kind of speaks to that conversation we had as to, are we really talking about bad apples in a barrel, or are we talking about bad barrels? So, mm -hmm. regulation can do so much, but is the culture, is the motivation, is the incentives to perform in a company, what are they and how are they pushing or pulling the people within that company to either work in your best interests or to work in their own interest? I think that that is an excellent place to close. I think you summed that up very well. And I'm sure we'll all have more to write on our own blogs, which by the way, if I can put in a plug for Mr. D'Souza over here who has started his own blog, Do These Look Even, I believe, Do These Look Even yes, it is. So you can now, not only can you enjoy Noel on Twitter, you can also read his blog. And of course, you can also read holypotato.net and First Foundation and Spring the Blog, if you're into it. Yeah, <laughs> and Boomer and Echo, even though he's not here. Yeah, yeah even right, though Echo. Rob is actually sitting at home right now, blinking. He's just no. waiting, <laughs> waiting for an invite to this conversation or something. He's but. covered in children. 
All right. Rob, Rob, we miss you. We do. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. That was lovely. Thanks for having us, sir. Thanks for having us, Andy, Jackson, and John. Thanks, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.